You are now in the mix with the Atomic Podcast, where we blow up the news. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast, where we're coming to you live from Times Square in New York City, because we, what? Blow up the news on a verbal scale. Th- that's new? Um, Is that, that's, a, <laughs> that's, that's something new? I never heard you do that Yeah, before. you don't like that? Uh, I mean, it's okay. It's kind of sounds a little mysterious. Off. Sounds yeah. a little suave. Uh, it's kind of caught me off guard. I just didn't know that you were going in that direction. Thank okay, you. hush. I'm Ephraim Guzman, along with my heterosexual life mate, the Ayatollah of Spermasola, Eve Sakanin <laughs> Sanin. What the hell is going on with this episode? What? Now this is the Ayatollah of what? No, never mind. Oh, uh, yeah, I, okay. I, I just thought of that on the fly. But it, uh, yeah, whatever. Okay. How's it going? Good. Good to yourself. Same old, same old. Just trying to get through this week. Well, week is about to be done. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. Well, in our, well, we don't know when you're going to hear this, but our week is just almost done. Our week is almost done, yeah. Um, I have an interview. Yeah, with, I, I'm telling you, I'm feeling left out. You're always doing interviews, dude. Like, what happened to the show? This I show know. is like an interview show now. Right? I know. It'll get down. We're going to have a big Marvel DC discussion. That's gonna come can, up can on I the get podcast. On, can I get on? In, in this this is my show too, right? I I, I do. I, I am here, right? I'm yeah. Just well, eye candy for anything yeah. else. Can, can I? Can a brother get down? Can yeah, I? yeah. You definitely can get Thank down you, with interviews, dude. Because you've been interviewing everybody under the sun. Yeah, we definitely have a big interviews coming up. Um, yeah. Also, before I guess we don't do even tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell. Let just let just just show the interviews. When the interviews just come up, you just this just comes up and we post it up. But yeah, like I said, please, can I be down? Yes, you could be down. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, I am here. I am yes. Thinking. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is an interview I have with um, FTW wrestler trainer, and um, you can find um, his wrestling organization on the web, ftwwrestling.com. What's his name? His name is Earl Cooter. Okay. Thank you. Nobody. Hey. I'm gonna know. Nobody knows the name right now. Well, I was trying to get around to that before you so, I want to say rudely, so pompously interrupt me. So you're doing interviews. I'm rude. You don't let me get in this podcast. So, like, what the hell's going on here? What's going on in this podcast, man? It's your good looks. Thank you. I appreciate it. Don't try to sugarcoat it and try to sweet talk me. Okay, fans, get down. Here's the interview I had with Mr. The One and Only Earl Cooter. Time Podcast. Okay, wrestling fans, um, you're once again listening to the Atomic Podcast. You know, like I always say, we blow up the news on a verbal scale. And today, my guest today, um, he's an independent wrestler. And um, he's more, more along the East Coast, but I'm sure you've probably seen him on YouTube as well. He is the franchise of the FTW organization. I give you fans, Mr. Earl Cooter. Earl, how are you doing tonight? Hey, how you doing, bro? Glad to be here. Thanks. Well, oh, thank you, thank you, man. And to you know, um, um, a, a lot of wrestling fans, you know, basically on the East Coast heard of you, and probably some in the West Coast or any other coast. But um, give me a little detail about yourself, how you got involved in wrestling. Oh man, I would say yeah. First of all, I don't want to sound I don't want to sound overly cocky, but I would think worldwide uh, I've been heard of. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't, you know, I mean, that's just my you know, maybe I'm crazy, but. Uh, <laughs> Okay. Just you know, just just in case the kids are listening and you know they haven't seen you. That's yeah, no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Uh, I uh, I started wrestling, you know, when I was pretty young, man, about 16 years old. And uh, I mean, I started at the uh, you know the original Doghouse, which you know pretty so legendary and whatever. And uh, it was a cool place, but uh, I would say the the biggest thing I learned there. 
So I was like, but like, was it like early on in school? Like you was playing in the fields, like you know, in the playground, and they were just you know wrestling in the gyms and stuff. Oh like, uh, no, no, yeah, I was wrestling on those playgrounds. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even though I do live in the currently, live, you know, near there, and uh, you know, I have spent a long time near that place. But uh, now I have the kids so much. But uh, actually, yeah, you know, it started uh, actually goofing off with my friends, and I'm not going to give away too many names, but uh, I did once have a pretty legendary. Uh, Backyard wrestling fed that contained a future WWE tag team champion as well as uh, <laughs> as well as some TNA stars and uh, some pretty pretty good indie people if you include myself. But uh, you know, uh, yeah, we were moving around. Uh, some guy who was with a local wrestler, his kid uh, wanted to come and see us, I guess, because you know, and believe it or not, the sick thing is that it was backyard wrestling. I mean, we weren't charging money, but we could actually draw crowds of up to like 150 people. It was really popular. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty funny because most indie shows don't draw that. <laughs> and, uh, just how much, just how much the scene has changed. I mean, people used to be so crazy about it. Like, that they would actually come watch a bunch of kids in a backyard, like, try to kill each other. And, uh, I mean, we definitely made it a little production, so it was cool. But, uh, yeah, that guy saw a couple of us, and he took like three or four of us and said, you know, you guys got a real shot at maybe doing it. I mean, at the time, I was really small, and he was like, well, you got a lot of personality, and you're funny. And he's like, so why not give it a shot? And I did, and a uh, thousand beatings later, here I am. Oh, wow. So basically, what, what was the shot that he gave you? He told you to go to a wrestling school? Or, like, what did he yeah, exactly? he took, us, he took us to the original doghouse. Original doghouse? everybody, and, uh, you know, hooked it up so we could train there uh, for pretty cheap. And uh, we did, and, you know, then we branched out from there. Oh, how many how, how, how many how many months were you at, was, was you at the doghouse? Was it for X amount of time, or...? Yeah, yeah, we were there for, I mean, I gotta tell you, I remember, I mean, talking about moving fast, I remember my first day taking, like, superplexes off the top rope, to give you an indication of how things went down there. Jeez. And, uh, I mean, I mean, it was brutal. I remember, like, you know, the first, I think, like, first time I went, I didn't go back for, like, a couple of weeks. Like, I was like, wow, that was crazy, you know, like, I mean, I couldn't even see straight for, like, two days, probably. Oh my god, um, <laughs> After, you know, I mean, I just wasn't used to taking, you know, the, the hits and the bumps like that, and, uh, you know, I mean, I think I took a couple of weeks off, and then from there, I went pretty steadily, and that was like in September of 1999, I think, okay. and, uh, you know, I think like maybe by like mid-October, I started going there pretty steadily, and I think I had my first match around like January, and, uh... You know, I continued to go there steadily well, through the following summer, and then maybe off and on sporadically the next following year, I was branching out and started training with other people too. So I'd say, you know, it was a sporadic two years maybe over there. Oh, wow, wow. So, um, did you learn a lot at the doghouse? Did you feel like, you know, they showed you no. everything? No, <laughs> no, no. no, no I, learned, I learned toughness. I learned how to take a beating. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't think a lot of people learned a lot there. And, uh, I mean, there are some <laughs> great wrestlers there. And, I mean, I, I can honestly say, like, you know, I can I can say to this day, uh, like, one thing I remember I did learn was that I feel like I do it really well. Uh, I learned how to take a, a back body drop from Loki. Wow. I remember he, like, he sat there and worked with me for a while, and I appreciated that. Oh, wow. And, uh, and he was always cool to me. And, uh, like I said, you know, uh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, no, I, I, I don't I, talk to him much. I don't talk to him much now, I, and when I do, I'm not sure if he really likes me. But uh, he was—he was nice to me 
So you could do that. you could do it better than anybody, then, right? You could take a definitely a good back body drop. I definitely take I take a decent one, yeah. And uh, thanks to him, I mean, just me and him, he spent literally two, three. It must have been two hours for real. We spent like two hours just me and him one day just teaching me back body drops and would not take no for an answer. Like you know, every time I thought I, I took it good, he'd say nope, he didn't. And then he'd keep explaining it to me, keep trying to show me, and then we, by the end of it, I pretty much got it. And um, was you always Earl Cooter when you was in the doghouse? Oh, no, not even close. Not even close, <laughs> man. Oh, my God. If I, if I was Earl Cooter that long, forget about it. Nobody would care. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is 1999 you're talking to. It's been a long time. Yeah. Um, you know how some people have a vision of who they're going to be when they're in the future. Yeah, so no, no, I did. I did all kinds of different gimmicks, man. I, I, did, I had one. My first ever gimmick was given to me by the guy that ran the doghouse, and they thought it was funny because, like, I came from backyard wrestling, so they were like, look, it's popular and it's edgy, so they were like, why don't you just pretend that, you know, why don't you just, your gimmick is you're a backyard wrestler, you think these guys suck, you know, your whole thing is, you know, you think everybody sucks and, and backyard wrestlers are better, and that's what you're going to go with, and, uh, and you know, like you're going to use, uh, you know, like trash can lids and, and dumb, you know, dumb stuff like that, and, and that's what we went with, it was funny, you know, and I just, you know, used my personality the best I could, and I had a few matches like that, and then when I started getting out on the indies, um, since I was so skinny, you know, it was funny to, we figured it out, like everybody, like especially on these like indies, on these fire department shows, if you don't see so many of them nowadays, there used to be a lot of like spot shows, like just one, some weird company would just run one show, you know what I mean, they weren't about building a brand, they didn't care, they were just, they were fundraiser shows, they would like pack out with you know, five to five hundred to a thousand people, yeah. and you know, like some guy from Connecticut or Boston would be like running it in New York. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so there were shows like that, and from uh, what I started to realize, a lot of the guys that were on it were like real old, and uh, like they were large men. So it was funny to like, I would, I must have weighed maybe a buck fifty, and they would, uh, they would bill me like they'd introduce me from World Gym at two hundred and twenty pounds, and then I'd come out, you know maybe 150 pounds soaking wet and like rubbing oil on my arms and flexing and people used to flip out like absolutely used to flip out you know oh man did, did you feel that um, a lot of wrestlers took liberties with you since you was just new in the business so they just wanted like to just to stiff you uh, uh you know I mean I would say at the doghouse yeah I was a live dummy uh, I don't think anybody tried to really hurt me but they just used me as a live dummy but, you know, a lot of times they did accidentally hurt me, but, you know, I, I never took it personally because I knew they weren't really trying to. Yeah. It was just that I, I was not very skilled and I was tall and skinny, which made a good live dummy, you know? Yeah. So I get it. I get it. I would say, I don't want to jump ahead of your interview here, but I would say that wouldn't start happening until about, I don't know, 10 years later, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know, actually about like seven, eight years later. Then I'd say people started to take liberties, but, uh, yeah, I was gonna say, but you're you're pretty much slim now, but you're definitely toned. Like, what? How did you, you know, acquire the body that you have now? Not that you're, uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson or anything like that, but you know, I guess from the way you was back then to the way you was now, how? What was your training regimen like? I'd uh, I'd like to consider myself like Dwayne Johnson. I think I have a very, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I have a very excellent physique, especially compared to nine out of ten indie wrestlers. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I'm two hundred and probably eight pounds, you know, I mean, I, like I said, I was, I was a, a grown man, I was eight, 
right way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I got big fast, man. And it's, it's like, it's amazing when you actually know how to lift and know how to eat and know how to do things and, like, you start to get in touch with your own body and you can realize that uh, you can accomplish a lot more than you think. You know what I mean? I, there's still room for improvement. I, it's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to stay dedicated. But, uh, I mean, I try. I, I, I work out pretty much uh, five to six days a week. But, you know, with a lot of traveling now and, and all that, it gets hard. You know, it's hard to eat right. It's hard to do all those things. But, uh, like I said, I try to, try to stay on as best as I can. You know, as long as I look good with my shirt off, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the Earl Reno we all know. Um, so basically, um, yeah, um, with Gary Reno, um, he showed you like you know a lot of people go to the gym they train, but there's not really any proper technique. They just you know lift weights or whatever. Uh, you know, it's not it's not that there's not proper technique, but a lot of like you know a hammer strength machine only goes one way. So if you're putting up heavy weight on it, I mean that's cool. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, you know, you need to know how many sets to do, what muscles to work when. You know what I mean? How to how to do things like supersets and drop sets and, and you know, when to do them and, and you know, when to run and, and when to walk and stuff like that. So, you know what I mean? And then, and then couple that with nutrition. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where he was very valuable. Like, I mean, I remember him and another guy that worked at that gym. I remember just, like, starting to work out with them. And it, it was so brutal. I remember the first couple of times, like, I, I'd go outside, I'd throw up. You know what I mean? Like, I'd act like nothing was wrong. I'd just walk out there for a minute and just puke my guts out, turn back around and then go You know, they don't work out five times a week like you do, you know. Well, that's what I'm saying, yeah. And then I understand because I went through it too. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you don't realize until you get used to it that it's brutal. Yeah. Also, do, do you know your first, well, I guess when you got involved in the wrestling, everything, you got training, everything, do you remember your first gimmick? Like, what was your name besides Earl Cooter? Did you have any other name when you first started out? Uh, yeah, like my first, like I said, my first gimmick name. Uh, well, how about this? How about, I'll tell you my favorite early gimmick name. Okay.
was, that was you're talking all, what, all the way back to like 2002, probably. Was Marvin Hornblower like similar to Stewart from Mad TV? Was it like that type of? If you're familiar with um, Stuart, I wouldn't know. Yeah, I wouldn't know because I never really watched Mad TV. Oh, okay. One of like five people that did. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> you're way uh, off. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, I remember the guy did the John Madden impressions. He was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I just like I said, it, it was very Eugene like. Yeah. Before, like just before, like probably a couple years before he came out, you know. Yeah. Oh man, and um, who's who was your inspiration in the wrestling business? Was there any particular wrestler you patterned yourself after, or someone that you watched when you was younger and said, "Wow, you know, this is what I want. This is what I want to do." Like, was there like a magic? Uh, yeah, there's a few of those guys, and you know, one I was lucky enough to actually train with and uh, be very close with, and that's uh, Sabu. Oh, Sabu. Oh, okay. And uh, you know, I think you know a lot of people only think of Rokuda, might not necessarily think of Sabu, but. Uh, uh, I did learn a lot from him, and I can do all the Sabu moves. Wow. And uh, he did show them to me, and I know I know a lot of the secrets of Sabu. Can you do the Arabian <laughs> face buster? I'm sorry, what? Can you do the Arabian face buster? Oh yeah, of course. And I also, I, I mean, I've done as Cooter, I've done the triple jump moonsault. I've done variations of it. I've done triple jump DDTs. I've done triple jump leg drops. I've also yeah. fallen just like Sabu has. <laughs> <laughs> When did I'm you? Sorry? I'm sorry. So when did you become familiar with Sabu? Though did you was watching him on TV? That's how you. Uh, yeah, when I was a kid, man. I mean, I remember when I was like 13, 12, 13, I remember watching ECW, and that was wild, you know. And people at that point, it was like you know, even when you were a kid. I think I said this in another interview at some point. Like you know, when you when you were a kid, once you crossed that age, you were you know maybe uh, for me it was probably like 11 or 12, and I started to realize you know that uh, maybe wrestling wasn't the Have any like any funny stories with Sabu or any like personal <laughs> deep stories that you can say? <laughs> I know you oh, do. Dude. Oh, dude, I 
not even but one. I'll tell you, I will tell you, there is a story, like I said, there's a few people out there who know, and there is a story that took place dealing with the gathering of the Juggalos of me and Sabu that is incredible. But like I said, sorry, but I can't, I can't give it to you. I got oh, that's, a, oh, that's just a little tease. You, can, you just said yeah, that. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's not a problem. Um, have you ever been in the ring with Sabu as an opponent? Have you ever wrestled him? Yeah, and how, uh, how was that experience like watching your idol and actually wrestling him? Um, I'll tell you, it was unique because all right. Well, the first time I was in the ring with him uh, was a battle royal, and it was funny because uh, you know there's a million guys in that ring, and uh, you know everybody was trying really hard. It was a memorial show for somebody, and like they're just having fun out there. Uh, it was cool, you know, like that time, like, and I remember, you know, him actually giving me pointers while we were in the ring, I remember, like, I was, like, choking him on the second rope, and I was, like, kind of hanging over him with my long hair, and, like, crouched over him, and, and he was telling me right there, he was, like, move out of the way, he's like, you're covering me, you're covering me, you know what I mean, like, yeah. trying to tell me to let people, you know, people can't see it, uh-huh. and, uh, you know, so that was cool, he was teaching me right there on the job, and, uh, you know, but the second, uh, it's not the second, I don't know when it was or how many times it was, but one of the times I wrestled him that was like cool was, uh, and see, here's another juggalo story. This is a different time, most of years later. Uh, I ended up in a, actually, I think it was a hardcore battle royal. It started out as, and then it turned into an elimination match with the final four guys. Okay. So, first of all, he wasn't, me and him weren't talking at the time because we had a, a pretty big disagreement about something. And uh, it had been, I don't know, probably almost a year since we had really talked. And right away when we saw each other, like, you know, I think both of us obviously were happy to see each other doing well. And, and you know, I think he was excited to see that I made it to the juggle thing on my own. And, and, like, I was happy to see that, like, he was kind of on a comeback. And, 
there any other veterans you've been in, involved with or any other veterans that pretty much had tried to take their liberties with you or, like, try to test you out in the ring or? Um, veterans-wise, like, like, main guys, no. They've always all been cool, man. Like, I've always been really lucky. Anytime I've ever worked with a main guy, like, say, like, I don't know, like, more ECW guys, like, Paul Mahoney. Yeah. Awesome guy. Like, awesome guy. Uh, Kevin Nash? Nash, I didn't work with in the ring, but behind the scenes, awesome guy. Fun yeah. is, like, hilarious. Like, so fun and so cool. Yeah. Uh, guys that I worked with in the ring, though, like, that, I guess, you know, like, like, could add a chip on his shoulder, like, gold dust, like, was, like, straight out of WWE when I wrestled him, and, uh, you know, he was totally awesome. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, never, never really any, any of, like, the, the legendary guys, I don't think any of them were really, I don't think I've ever really had one that, that was hard to work with or I didn't like. Or ever tried to do anything other than you know what we thought was going to happen. Yeah, I, uh, it's mostly the indie guys, man. Like I said, I've had. I, I don't. I wouldn't say like I've ever had. I've never really had heated words with an opponent. Yeah. Like I've never wanted to, you know. But I mean, I've had you know jerk off opponents that you know try to take my hat off in there and for no reason and whatever. I mean, you know, it, it is what it is, I guess. But I never understood that. You know, like I would never want to. Yeah. I never really, I also never really hated on anyone's uh, success, which, uh, I mean, whatever, I feel like people have for me, but it's cool, like I said, I don't care, it doesn't stop me from doing what I'm doing, you know, in fact, sometimes it motivates me, sometimes, you know, I need that little push over the edge, just so I see people getting pissed off, and that, that makes me do better, you know, I just want to shove it in their face even more. Oh, well, uh, another question, but that's only, I'm sorry, but no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, I'm sorry to cut you off, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Show him a thing or two. Yeah. Oh, Good. All right, I was gonna say, um, do you remember the first time you ever got color? Did you remember the first first match? Oh yeah, yes, I do. Yes, uh, that was actually a great one. Um, so that was a six man match. Uh, you know, like three versus three. Um, yeah, it had there's me, Reaper, and Jay Lover versus, and it was like thrown together at the last minute. It was homicide. Sandman and Balls Mahoney. Oh, boy. And, and uh, I was in Club Amazon in Queens. Must have been like 2008, like right before Thanksgiving. And uh, I wasn't supposed to be in the match. I had already wrestled. Something happened. They switched it all around. All of a sudden, somebody comes up to me. I want him to come. I think it was like a reefer. One comes up to me in the locker room and says, Hey, listen, we need you in this match. And, uh, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, Oh, you're going you're gonna to bleed. And I was like, I'm going to bleed. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, Come on, man. <laughs> you know, like, so, like, Paul Mahoney and them are, like, telling me how to do it. Like, oh, great. And, uh, you know, I did. I mean, I don't think I did the biggest, uh, I don't think I bled that much, but, like I said, I mean, I remember Paul Mahoney, like, smashed me in the forehead. And, uh, I mean, I remember I got a picture somewhere. There's, like, a picture on MySpace, I think, or something with blood running down my head. But uh, I'm not too into, I'm not too into cutting my face, man. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't like matches that make me bleed. I mean, I've been cut open before. Yeah. You know, you like don't my arms have... been cut open. I got a couple scars on me from matches. Yeah. Have you ever ha had a serious injury in the ring where you need a surgery, or so far you've been lucky? No, yeah, I never had anything like that. Oh, good. Any broken bones? No broken fingers? You've been injury free? Uh, I wouldn't say. I mean, I, maybe a toe or two, 
there and there, but nothing that's ever kept me out of the ring too long. Yeah. Well, and also jumping ahead, um, how did you got into the FTW? Like, how did how did that whole story turn about? Like, how did that happen? Uh, FTW started with uh, a guy named Sean Stern. Okay. And uh, you know, it was basically at the time I had owned a bar or part of a bar, and uh, it was selling. And I, I also was running a couple clubs in New York City. And uh, so we thought we were going to have this cool New York City venue, which I'll tell you right now would have been awesome for wrestling. It was like a mini Hammerstein ballroom. Oh, wow. And uh, right as FTW came about, that club got sold. And I remember I was so disappointed because I was like, wow, this was a spot. It was right in Times Square. Yeah. It was awesome. It would have been, it held about probably a thousand people. No, I'd say probably five to eight hundred people. Yeah. I mean, you could pack more, but not with a ring and stuff. So I would have said, yeah, about five to eight hundred people. had balconies on two sides. And uh, it was a beautiful room. It was perfect for wrestling. And, uh, you know, so I thought we were going to have that venue as a regular venue. And, uh, you know, I think in the original plan was even to pick up, like, some local TV because we were going to have this weekly venue. We were going to run weekly. And uh, all these things. And that kind of went by the wayside when uh, that venue closed, which was unfortunate. And then there was a, we actually looked into, uh, and like I said, so Sean had come to me, said he wanted to do this wrestling thing. And, uh, you know, he had done it in the, in the, in the backyard thing when we were kids. And, uh, you know, he knew I knew a lot more about it. But I had actually stopped wrestling for probably four years, maybe, maybe five. Yeah. And uh, I was doing stuff in music. Like I said, I was running these clubs, so I didn't really wrestle anymore. And I didn't really care, you know. Uh, and then we, uh, like I said, we got into, you know, he was like, hey, I want to do this. And I said, all right, well, here's what I think would make it work. And so he was like, well, why don't you help me with it? And then, like I said, we, I was like, well, if it so happens, I have this club. And, uh you know, that got sold, though, and then we were like, well, you know what, we'll just open our own venue, which we did, and uh, it was in Ronkonkoma, and it was called the Fifth Avenue Arena, and it was so awesome, so awesome, uh, but it only lasted one show, and then, yeah, we were doing concerts out of there, like, probably five a week, and uh, some were pretty big concerts, we, we had a bunch of, you know, not a huge band, but like, we had like a cross five Aprils, and like, bands that were at the time were like, super popular like on MTV2 and stuff and uh, you know we were packing it out and it just it was uh, the building was in the process of being zoned and uh, you know we freaked the landlords out and they freaked the town out and then you know we just had to go and it was unfortunate so that that kind of slowed us down and then we just turned into I guess a regular indie company where we stopped trying to really because we were our whole big plan was we were going to run weekly and you know we were going to you know we had some ideas on how to keep it packed and how to keep fans there and how to generate money and uh, I would say that they were working the ideas but unfortunately we just didn't have the building to support it and uh, if we did I think things would have been really cool um, but yeah so I mean that's how it started and then you know we started running after that it was like well we ended up just renting a little space and running the school and then uh, just running shows and I mean it's just steamrolled from there since 2007 and it's been going forever now wow so how did all the wrestlers came about like there was, was the people you worked with or you know did you put like an ad out there needing wrestlers like how did <laughs> yeah you don't have to do that man. nowadays <laughs> definitely not people are begging and some are even pretending they're wrestlers just to be on shows uh 
we did was, uh, I mean, honestly, I can credit the uh, early days, I can credit the Grim Reaper. Uh, I got in touch with him. I knew him from back in the day. He was always cool. Yeah. And uh, so I, I went and dealt with him, and uh, he put us in touch with a few guys. But not really. I mean, we used the internet, like, my, I think it was MySpace at the time. You know, we were, we were just tracking down wrestlers that we thought were good. Yeah. And some were and some weren't. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it started out like, there's ups and downs, you know. I mean, we're, we're always trying to do different things. I mean, I think a lot of people might not realize that. Like, everybody always tries to run these indie shows, and they're always trying to, like, everybody's like, oh, we're the best, we're the best. And I'm not a big believer in using that word of, like, the best or the greatest. Like, that's such an uh, American thing, like, uh, to always be like, you know, oh, we're number one, by blah, 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 or the best in the East Coast, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm not big on those kinds of slogans. Like, if you have to tell somebody you're the best, you're probably not the best. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. who, who does that? Like, you pick up a girl at a bar and go, hey, listen, I'm the best looking guy in here. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think you have to do that. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, it's more about just being yourself. And, and if you are original and if you are the best, it'll come through. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, like I said, we're always trying different things and, and whatever. So there's ups and downs. wrestling school like if anybody wants to get into the wrestling business like what would they have to do like can they send an email they'll call you like how does yeah. it Long Island, and uh, like I said, both schools are the official school. 
then. Um, so, I mean, there's opportunities there. I think a lot of, the problem with a lot of wrestling schools is they're so dedicated to just locking their guys up with their school and brainwashing them to just do their shows and whatever. And not that there's anything wrong with that, because I think to a point that's necessary, and I think there's a time, especially the first couple of years, that's what those kids should be doing. But it's, when you're, it's, you know, when you reach a point, because there's a, there's a gray area, I think, that a lot of people don't address in wrestling training where, like, you know, guys learn what they're doing and they're definitely capable to go out and wrestle shows, but they still need, they're still at the point where they don't fully understand everything and they still need to learn, but, you know, there's not a lot of, like, a lot of wrestling schools are basic or just littered with basic people and it's like, your only opportunity is to get on the shows for that particular fed that runs the school. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you're kind of stuck there. And it's like, well, I need to go join another school just to get down with another company. And then what's cool about FDW is you really don't have to do that. You can prove yourself, you know, here. And if you're ready, you know, you'll get the opportunities to do those uh, WWN different companies because they're all different. And some take place in Florida and some take place in New York, and, you know, now we're going to China, and, uh, you know, I mean, there's California, there's New Orleans, it's, it's all over the place, so you got that, and then, like I said, just the other, there's a million other feds that we deal with where I've definitely sent talent, you know, I've sent guys who now wrestle regularly for FWE or WWO or SWA or, you know, a uh, hundred other feds, you know what I mean? I got refs that ref for House of Glory, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the cool thing is you can, like, actually move on and still stay there. But, like I said, still move on and still get other experience and, and get other exposure and, you know, have opportunities to move up the ladder. Uh, you know, because I think definitely uh, feds like FIP, Dragon Gate, and Evolve, they are a step up over most indie feds. I mean, just because of the production and the, and the talent that's on there. And, you know, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. So that's, uh, that's a, it's a great opportunity to have that stepping stone to be able to go up into those, you know. Yeah. I don't know, but I feel like I'm just yakking and it's boring. No, 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 so, uh, no, no. Uh, no. This is good information for people to hear. <laughs> this is definitely good yeah. information. Also, um, you know, you have you said a lot of wrestlers go to the school, but do you get more of people going to your school wanting to be wrestlers? Or, like, is there a lack of managers or lack of referees? Like, you know, or, or, no, there's, that, there's definitely an ample amount of both of those. And, uh, I mean, we, get, we have tons of students, too. And, I mean, I, I think what there's a lack of, and I'll tell you, like, if you said, like, that's a perfect question. What is there a lack of? I'll tell you. There's a lack of guys in this school that are from the indies already that are hungry to get out there but not quite ready to, like, dominate. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. on the indies, like, they're not quite ready to be, like, real household names or not household names, but independent stars. Yeah. And I think, that, like, there's so many guys out there floating around that, Instead of just sending an email saying, hey, book me, or, you know, I sent I sent my resume to this guy or that guy, they need to just look in the mirror and be like, hey, I'm not terrible, but I need something else. Like, I need to learn something else or something I'm missing. You know what I mean? So there's not enough guys. I don't see enough guys out here that, that do that. You know what I mean? Because the ones that have come, they've moved up fast. You know, like, uh, uh, I think a guy like uh, Jack Gallows, you know, I mean, like, you know, he came and worked with me a little bit, and, uh, I mean, it's a quick study. You tell him things, and he listens, and you give him pointers, and he listens, and yeah. boom, 
found himself right on the Evolve roster, found himself on FIT, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, moved right up to a top tier thing, and is now building a name for himself. I mean, he's been out in other feds and whatever, and like I said, but he, he tweaked into him a couple things, took some advice, and, and grew from it. And I think there's a lot of other guys out there who could greatly benefit from that, who haven't done that, and it's unfortunate. And I think they're going to be stuck floating around until they either admit that they need to learn more or need to improve on something, or they're just too old and don't do it anymore and just quit, you know? Yeah. Um, do you figure, yeah. uh, as, as yourself as a wrestler, because, you know, I know you're a teacher as well, um, do you yeah. feel more gratifying being a teacher or just being involved with the crowd or it works the same way? Like, you know, what's more of your niche? Um, I like being a wrestler better. <laughs> okay. um, I don't really like the role of being a teacher. I do it to try and help. Okay. Um, I feel like a lot of times it's in one ear and out the other, and that's unfortunate. But, uh, I mean, it is rewarding when there are kids that you see move on and do great. I just, you know, I, I don't I don't know how to explain it. I mean, I definitely, it's not that I don't like teaching, because I do, and I, and I like helping people, but I, I'm the first to admit, I don't know everything about everything, and uh, I don't think anybody really does. And, and, you know, wrestling is, uh, it's, uh, you know, different flavors of ice cream. There's, it's, uh, there's, there's, Uh, I think I'm a top tier performer overall. I think I'm an all better 
<laughs> like, you know, I, I'm a wrestler. I wrestle and I travel and I do all these things and that's it. And I run schools and, and you know, it's all wrestling all the time. That's my whole life. And so, yeah, did I, did I earn that? You know, did I, did I, does, does it make me worthy of being on a top level? I think so. I mean, and I think I can back it up, like, in the ring, you know, and I think I can, I mean, I don't, I don't think a lot of people honestly can feel like they can just go out on, and I mean, this sounds corny, but I'm just saying, if, I, I feel like if you got me dressed and put me in and said, hey, guess what, when you walk through that door right now and you go through that next curtain, you're actually walking out on Monday Night Raw, so good luck. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't think I would be 1% nervous. I'd be like, cool, whatever. Like, what's the deal? Tell me the deal and I'm good. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'll handle it. And I don't think I would do it. I don't think I would do a shit job. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's just the truth. I, and some people probably, well, if anybody's listening to this, they probably smash their computer screen or <laughs> throw their phone on the ground. But, I mean, that's the truth, man. And uh, I think my reputation has dictated that because every bigger, anytime I've been on a big stage, I've never, I feel I've never not delivered what I needed to do. Whatever I was told to do or whatever was supposed to happen, 100% delivered on and always will. Yeah, exactly. You know what, when people see you wrestle, even though how you say, you don't think, you know, you get a reaction. If it's a bad reaction, it's a good reaction, you're getting a reaction. I think it would it would be bad if you got no reaction whatsoever. So, you know. Which a lot of guys, which a lot of guys and a lot of good wrestlers get no reaction. Yeah. And that's on the same shows, and that's what I'm saying. I know that. And I'm like, yeah, well. <laughs> you can hate me all day. I mean, and it's not, it's not like bad heat where they're like, boo, go home, like, oh my God, like, it's not like that. It's, they're reacting the way they're supposed to. They're just, they, they look at me and they care. Yeah. And that's cool. And I don't always get, listen, I don't always get uh, top tier opponents, man. I wrestle a lot of, a lot of guys that are just starting out or a lot of guys that aren't that good. And I have to make them look better. And I feel like I do most of the time. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, I'm not even going to lie. Like, I think some people are full of themselves. Like, every time I go out, they're strong. Not true, man. <laughs> you know, not true at all. I think a lot of times I've gone out there very, very lazily. And, uh, you know, maybe it's because I'm frustrated sometimes or whatever. i got something going on. I'm not saying that I don't put on a good performance. and not saying that that's the right way to be. I'm saying I have been. And it's, 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 sometimes you do get frustrated when you've been out there a long time. You know, because I've been wrestling 100 years. And I... Uh, you know, sometimes I end up against guys that it's their first match or their second match. And not only that, when I'm talking to them in the back, they're talking to me like, I don't know what I'm talking about. And then I feel crazy. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go out there or whatever. You know, and I think which is nice because I don't really beat people up out there what somebody else would do, you know. They yeah. go out there and just be like, oh, I'm going to make this guy look like crap and beat the shit out of me. Yeah. I don't really do that, you know. I don't really do that. I just go out there. I just try to make everyone happy. Yeah, you don't take civil, you know, you don't take liberties with them, you know, at least, you know. <sighs> Very, very rarely, man. I mean, anybody that I've ever really done that with also deserved it. And I mean, nothing really comes to mind. I don't, I don't think I've really done that many times. Mm. I think okay. even my version of that is very light. Like, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't think I've ever intentionally ever hit somebody so hard that they couldn't get up yeah. or that they walked out of there with a permanent injury. Yeah. I don't really think so. I mean, if I have, I... If I have, I'm sorry for it. Like, I <laughs> After I the fact, no, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, seriously, though, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. I'm saying, even if I hit somebody, I'm good enough to know if I hit you hard, I, I'm not going to cause permanent damage because I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And uh, there's a difference, you know what I mean? Like, if you smash a guy in the head full blast, you're going to hurt him. If you hit him, you know, in the chest full blast, you're going to hurt him, but you're not going to, he's not going to walk out of there with permanent injury, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can kick a guy in the stomach pretty good. You know what I mean? To let them know that you don't like them. You can step on them real hard. You can do a lot of things that aren't going to 
an injury that lasts more than five minutes uh, on purpose, uh, you don't belong in wrestling. And you should be, you know, in a position, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying you should be prosecuted, but I'm saying maybe you should be persecuted. Like, you know, you should be taken out back and beat to the floor. Yeah. And that's just, that's my opinion, man. I don't know. This is, uh, it's entertainment. And uh, I get it. Some people cross lines and some people aren't liked and whatever. But, like, you know, you got to have respect for the craft, man, and, and respect for someone else putting their, uh, their body in your hands. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't violate that on purpose, man. That's not me. Exactly, exactly. Also, um, I want to get back to the wrestling school. You said Matt Stryker is sure. also a teacher. Um, how is he as a right. teacher? How you dealt with yeah, him? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy that was, listen, his, like, closet job was at WWE. He was, uh, he worked for NXT, you know what I mean? Like, he was, like, he would go to, I mean, that's my understanding. I mean, I, I guess don't quote me on it, but, I mean, what I've heard is, uh, you know, he used to be the guy, you go to, you go to a tryout, and he was the guy that would evaluate you, you know what I mean? And he was at NXT all the time, and he was evaluating talent and helping to train talent, so. Uh, you know, you're getting a guy straight out of the WWE system who knows exactly the deal. So, I mean, you know, if I was a wrestler looking to get into NXT, I might look at a guy like Matt Stryker and say, hey, what do I got to do? So training with him might be more beneficial than training with, uh, you know, Beer Smoke and Bart somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's true. I was going to say, also on the FTW, how big is your roster in FTW? Like, you know... Uh, I mean, if you if you include the students, it's huge. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, I would say our regular guys are probably fifteen to twenty, and then uh, you know, you put in the students, it's probably another twenty twenty five. So I mean, you know, anywhere from forty guys or less. Oh, and you only squeeze in. Yeah, and you only have two female valets, right? Candy Carwright and Nicoletta. That's the only. Well, Candy's Candy's actually a wrestler too. Uh, yeah. Oh yes, yes, of course, yes, yes. I didn't mean yeah, yeah, she's yeah. a valet. Uh, she's a valet. No, we have more. We have. Uh, Trudy, we got Tracy, uh, we got that other Catron, they've all been on FCW shows, so you know that if you attended show, <laughs> but uh, I've, actually, I've actually been informed you haven't attended a wrestling show in over two years. Um, yeah, I think I think we know the person who is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> actually, you got my notes here, and, uh, <laughs> I, I came across the production assistant and handed that to me after I came across. So. Uh, okay, okay, that could be... So uh, you know that. because you know you have a uh, diversity there it's not just all men you know you have women there as well you know you know oh, I would hope yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, it's, yeah. It's something for I mean, anybody I've been saying I'll tell you this and I, I, it's never not been the case FPW's always had the best working female uh, wrestlers and valets hands down I mean if you go back to the years I mean we had Rosita before she was anywhere else yeah I mean she's a, she's a, you know literally a knockout you know she's, she's gorgeous and uh Tracy, who else? I mean, 
I feel like I'm missing some of the regulars. Oh, we had Marty Bell for a while yeah. uh, doing a thing there. Never had bad looking women there, man. Always, always good looking women there. Yeah. Always. And they always contribute it, no matter what. To yeah, no, they're always, they always did great all. They're always, always doing above and beyond what they did in most other places. Like, always either great matches or even the ones that are valets, like, getting involved. And, you know, always, always energy. Oh, plus we had the FPW bombshell dancers, uh, Jen, Vanessa. Uh, is there another one? I think there was another one at one point. But both Genevieve and Vanessa were like two out of the girls I've ever seen in her life. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, actually, you know, awkwardly enough, I'll never forget. I got a letter. I'll never forget. I got an email from a from a kid, and you know, not a kid. He was, I think, like eighteen or nineteen, and he complained, and he said, "I got to tell you, the provocative dancing of those two sexy girls during intermission, which were Genevieve and Vanessa, was hard for me to sit next to my mother." <laughs> And I, you know, I get that, but I was like, wait a minute, this kid just mentioned the letter that he was like 18 or 19, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what kind of 18 or 19 year old guy is taking his mom to a wrestling show? Probably I mean, not that, that's, yeah, that's, no, that's not, you know, that's cool, bring your family, bring your friends, I'm not <laughs> knocking it, but I'm just saying, I mean, just me personally, honestly, at 18 years old, very few things make me feel awkward in front of my mother, especially when dealing with a pretty girl, you know what I mean? It's not yeah. like they were stripping, it's not like they were naked or this guy's watching porn, all they were dancing, like the, like the WCW Nitro girls used to do, but yeah. nothing over the top. So I just thought, you know, I, I think there was like another layer to that, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it was like, it wasn't like, I was just like, wow, this guy literally was like <laughs> discovering how he feels about girls in front of his mom, and I thought that was pretty fun. Yeah. But uh, I guess you can't please everybody, man. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, also, I want to get back into... Let me go to the mainstream with TNA. Like, what's sure. your what's, what's what's your take on that? Because you know the wrestling business as a whole, it's you know uh, the the big game is just WWE right now and TNA. Yeah, well, can I be honest? I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm sure I don't think it'll come back to bite me. I got no shame to say it. First of all, TNA literally stole my gimmick, literally stole my name, and stole my entire storyline angle out of Jersey All Pro Wrestling. And uh, you know, man. They're a Bush League company, and uh, I, I think that a lot of the old-timers see them as a piggy bank where they can just go pull cash out of yeah. and good for them, good for them, and, uh, you know, I mean, my advice to TNA is maybe if they weren't too busy ripping off my gimmick <laughs> and, you know, maybe just chose me instead of the other guy, yeah. maybe they'd be somewhere today, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, That's, yeah. honestly, you know what, TNA was great when Kevin Nash had a big hand in it, they were amazing, I used to watch TNA. And I thought it was awesome. Yeah. And once they got rid of him and, or like, you know, let that relationship go sour and started doing things like stealing my actual gimmick yeah. and storylines, ah, you know, man, and I had such a, you know, and I'll tell you, it sounds like such a Mark thing to say, but I actually spoke to guys that were on the TNA roster and, like, who were major parts of the company. And I was like, hey, is this me being crazy or is this, um, you know, what it really is, and you know, one of the guys—I'm not going to rat him out—but I vaguely remember. But I don't remember the name. You know, you're telling me, and I'm just coming to my head, but I don't remember the name. Oh, the redneck guy you're saying? Yes, they, yes, they yes. Call, Yeah, Cody Deaner, and then they started That's calling right. him Cooter. That's and right. They started calling him Cooter. Yeah, you know, nothing against that guy. I mean, he's just yeah. doing his job, but he didn't know. I'm saying the whole storyline of him right. being ODB's girlfriend yeah. coming out of the crowd—that 
or a boyfriend, whatever. That whole thing was me and Amy Lee in Jersey All Pro like six months before. Mm-hmm. They stole the whole gimmick, dude. Mm-hmm. And granted, I probably wasn't ready for TNA TV at that point. But mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, had they had they actually called me or whatever and said, hey, look, we need this like within a couple months or whatever, man, I would have been ready. I would have been a whole different level of motivation and I would have been ready. And, uh, you know, they didn't even offer. They were just like, oh, we're going to steal this kid's whole gimmick and screw him. And then like when, when the gimmick, when Cody Diener started getting stale, they tried nicknaming him Cooter, which was because guys in the locker room that knew who I was used to make fun of him and like know that knew that he was a complete ripoff and they would call him Cooter like jokingly and then they were like oh let's use that so they called him Cooter oh my god did, did, so, did Cody Diener know of you as well or uh, I'm sure he knew uh, maybe not hugely but I'm sure he yeah. was aware there was a guy named Cooter out there the that Coast. looked similar and you know had a similar gimmick I don't know that he knew about the storyline and such yeah. but uh hey whatever man yeah, like I said, you know, where's he now? Yep, exactly. Uh, and, and nothing against him, man. It's not his fault. But I'm just saying, they didn't pick the right guy, and that's why, like I said, and, and like I said, I had a very, I had this very same conversation with a very, very legendary wrestler, who I'm actually pretty cool with. And, uh, you know, he looked at me and he laughed, and he said, uh, you know, I felt a similar situation with TNA, where I felt they had kind of infringed upon me a little bit with another character, and, uh, I made a joke about it, and they didn't really like it. And I was like, yeah, I hear you, man. And I was like, well, do you think it's possible that that's what happened to me? And he, he looked at me 100%, and I don't think he was humoring me. I said, I was like, don't lie to me. I was like, if you think I'm an idiot or, you know, I'm being a uh, mark, tell me. And he was like, no, nah, man. He's like, I think uh, you have a definite case there, man. Like, I think uh, they definitely might have ripped you off, dude. <laughs> like, sounds like, like, sounds like something they would do. And I was like, case in point right there. Case in point right there. So that's my feelings on TNA. They're very, uh, they're Bush League, man. They yeah. can't make up their mind what kind of ring they want. You know what I mean, dude? I, I've never, let me tell you something. I've never sent anything to TNA. I've never asked about being in TNA. I never tried out for their stupid gut check. I never would. I don't care. And I guarantee I make more money than half that roster. Wow. And, you know, whatever. And I mean, not that I, listen, not that I wouldn't be in TNA. Because, yeah. I mean, if the right deal came along, which probably never will once you air this, but whatever, man. I mean, like I said, that's just the truth. I'm not, at this point, I'm not hiding from it, but I would, I would work for them, and I would go all out, and I would be something that would probably save their company, but they'll never believe that, or maybe they will, whatever, I don't know. But I would be there. Nothing personal. I'm just saying, as to, if you ask my opinion on it, that's what it is. Wow. But at the same time, but at the same time, honestly... Uh, if you're a wrestling fan and you enjoy it, I think you should watch it and support it. And I don't see anything wrong with that. And there are some guys in there that I do love, I, that I think are amazing wrestlers. Yeah. And I do check in on, and I, I you know, I, I won't regularly watch it, but I will watch it if it's in front of me. And I will, and I mean, it's, you know, it's an option. And, you know, just to kind of counter statement, that little snippet you threw in there, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with WWE. I think it's pretty awesome. And, uh, I mean, you know, I get it that some people are unhappy with the stories. But I think a lot of that, man, is just fans are fans. And in this day and age, they've acted so much that they feel they have some kind of power if they open their mouth. Mm-hmm. And so they get hell-bent, like, in this weird uh, creative control thing. Like, if I can get a thousand people on Twitter or Facebook to agree with me, WWE's going to change their mind on who the it guy is. You know what I mean? Yeah, 
Hulk Hogan is the only wrestler, I don't care who he wrestles or whatever, if Hulk Hogan was, that's it, for me personally, if it was like, okay, do you, like, if you ask me, do you buy WrestleMania on pay-per-view? No. Do I watch WrestleMania every year? No. That's just me. Um, not trying to be cool. I just whatever, man. I, I'll catch it when I catch it. You know what I mean? I'm not gonna line up front. And I'll tell you, this year I was in New Orleans. I was outside the Superdome, and I was not watching WrestleMania. In fact, I gave someone a ride to WrestleMania, and then I left and went and got food. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I wanted barbecue ribs. I swear to God, true story. Oh, and I had a ticket. I had a ticket. They're like, you want to go in? I'm like, and the reason why was because actually we got, I wanted to go, and uh, Hogan had already gone out there, and you know did that little promo, and that was it for him. And I was like, yeah, I'm not interested. The point I'm going to making is, I don't care if Hulk Hogan wrestled a broomstick. If it was between that, if, if I had to buy a ticket to WrestleMania, even a ticket, not even just on paper, if I had to buy it, I would buy a ticket. That's how awesome I think Hulk Hogan is. Yeah, yeah he's, 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 he'll always will be the man, no matter what. You know? Oh, there you go. And, and I'm saying, but the point is, I guarantee he wouldn't have been the man in today's internet era because everybody wants to open their mouth with an opinion. And I, I'm not saying that it's not welcome, but it's not necessary. And it's just like, enjoy what you got in front of you, man. Stop trying to be the booker. Stop trying to, you know, make your idea the right idea. Let the people that, that do this do it, man. It's like, there's only a place I've ever seen. You know what I mean? It's like, I guess that's today's culture, though. Like, you know, you go to your burrito, and I mean, like, everybody makes changes to it, but, like, nowadays, you go to, like, Bowles, and you can literally just customize the whole thing from start to finish. They don't even offer a pre-made burrito. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, I mean, that's today's culture, but I think it's stupid, you know? I, I think uh, if the chef cooks you a meal, you shouldn't tell him to put salt and pepper on it. Till, you know what I mean? You go to a fancy restaurant, that's how it works. You can get what you get. Yeah. You know what I mean? Anytime I've ever been out to a, uh, a five-star restaurant, I'm not trying to customize the order to come with shit I don't like. I just... Eat it anyway. <laughs> and I usually like it. That's the funny part. I'm like, I don't normally like mustard, but all of a sudden, this Dijon thing is like the best thing I ever ate. So, what's that tell me? That I don't know everything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, so, always, I mean, that's it. It's always good to be open to new things, you know? There you go. Uh, um, Earl Kuda, another thing I want to ask you about the whole... Yeah. The whole independent scene, um, you know, a lot of people love the independent scene, a lot of people talk about the independent scene, um, do you ever see yourself, if you ever do leave the independent scene, coming back to the independent scene, or, you know, because this is where you started? Uh, okay, yeah, I have a great, I have a great answer to this. Okay. Uh, I'm going to tell you, uh, and this sounds crazy, I uh, think, uh, you know, what I regard as the independent scene, like, I think... Uh, what it is now is pretty, like, it's cool, man, but it's gotten very saturated with guys that don't belong. And, uh, you know, I count myself lucky to be on rosters like Dragon Gate and Evolve and FIP. And I'm not just saying that because I'm affiliated with them otherwise and blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying those guys all belong there, every one of them. It doesn't matter what a fan says or whatever. Every one of those guys knows what the hell they're doing. 
running, you know, constantly isn't there. We're not doing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of shows a year. And, uh, you know, hopefully it gets there. Um, and I think it probably will. But, uh, you know, big things happening with WWN. Like I said, I'd, you know, say, you know, in case anybody doesn't know, I'm going to China. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's not normal. But, uh, you know, it's going to be awesome. And uh, there's big things happening, man. So, like, that's a different tier of an indie fed. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's popular ones, like, you know, combat and all, which I've actually never been in, but, you know, it's, it's pretty good. I know DJ Hyde does his thing there. There's a lot of good wrestlers in there. But what I'm saying is there's still guys mixed in there that are not actually, you know, there's guys that are up-and-comers or whatever, and they're not just stars. And like I said, when you get to, like, that, that WWN level, there's a lot of guys, they're all just stars, man. You know what I mean? They're just yeah. stars. And it's, there's no, there's no bottom line, like, you know, no, nothing underneath that. And, uh, on the Indies, there's just too many guys that, honestly, and it's a cliche saying, and people say all the time, like, oh my God, the fans are on the wrong side of the rail. And, uh, it's really true, man. And being a guy that runs the school and blah, 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 I'm all for it. You know, everybody living their dream and everybody, whatever. I just think the problem is the lack of discipline and effort and the trap of that, you know, wrestling isn't what it used to be, so you got guys that, you know, can help you drum up some fans, so you put them out there, and then, but usually with the ones that aren't dedicated, they never get better, and, you know, they they start holding you hostage, and uh, it's sad, man, it's just like, you know, there's so many guys that don't belong, and then, like, they, they think they're going to tell you what wrestling is, or how wrestling goes, and you see these guys with zero talent, or zero build, or zero ability, and it's just sad, man. And it's like, so I think that that needs to go by the wayside, but it probably won't because it's just too over, it's too oversaturated, man. There's, there's a million indie feds running in, you know, New York City alone. There's literally 10, 11. Yeah. You know what I mean? And everybody's, you know, cutting each other's throats and, and trying to steal this guy and use that guy. And, you know, we got this guy and we're the best. And, and you know, uh, and it's just, it's just growing. It's just, there's, there's like, I know there's another wrestling school opening up, some like, I don't even know, some no-name jabroni school. Who knows? I, you know what I mean? I don't know what these people are doing, dude. And it's like, you know, you say what you want about FTW or whatever. It's been there seven, eight years, man. It ain't going anywhere. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's, a, it's a system. It's an institution. It's, it's you know, all you got to do, you want to find the results, go find people that went there, ask them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, the results speak for themselves. And, and even sometimes, some of the kids will tell you they hate it, but guess what? Some of them are amazing wrestlers. And you're like, well, you know, sometimes that happens. Uh, you know, I, I'll tell you, there's stuff I didn't mention. I'll tell you right now, in so many words, just to defend that topic, somebody's like, well, yeah, well, what good is it if they don't end up liking the place? Well, I'm going to tell you, there's a, a trainer and uh, a wrestling institution that I went to that I didn't name, and I'm not going to because I don't really like the guy. And uh, But I'll tell you this, he's the one that made me a good wrestler. And I don't like him. I, I think I've said one. I've said I've said one sentence to him in the last ten years, and it wasn't a very nice one. You gotta be able to say you, you tease and not giving names. You gotta at least give one name, man. Nah, I don't like to do that, man. I mean, I, it's just not respectful. You know, uh, I don't want to cause drama and whatever. And uh, I mean, but you know, it's not causing like drama because he's probably hearing it like, oh, he's talking about me. You know, so I'm sure he knows. Yeah, but at least if I'm not naming his name, then I don't gotta. You know, I'll be like, I didn't name. Him. Gotcha, gotcha. It's a respect. I'm not afraid. Believe me, dude. I'd fight the guy. I'd love to. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you, if you do enough research, man, you can dig it up. Call out yourself. I don't care. Gotcha. But, uh, 
Gotcha. Um, plug, plug. Um, you have a, sh- uh, a show coming up in November, right, for FTW? Yes, we do. November twenty second. We got Axel, Jim Duggan, Teddy Hart, Ar Fox. You got me. You got the new champion, uh, Mister Four Fifty, Jesus De Leon. Uh, you know all the classic FTW crew. You know Nicoletta. Like I said, the crew. Uh, uh, Rage, Banana Man, blah blah blah. You got all those guys. All everybody at FTWWrestling.com. Uh, I don't think tickets went on sale yet. I think uh, another few days. Uh, like I said, November twenty second, Queens Elks Lodge. I think it's an early start time. I think it's going to be like six or seven p.m. That'll be on the website coming okay. up this week. Keep an eye out, Facebook, all that. Okay. Uh, Any matches lined up yet, or no? Yeah, you got Rage versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Um, I think you got. I, you know, off the top of my head, uh, nothing really sticks out besides that. So I'll just go with that. You got Rage versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan already announced. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a ton of good stuff. Uh, you'll have a rematch between myself and Mr. 450 for the FTW Heavyweight title. Okay. Um, you got the new champion, Jack Gallows, in action. I mean, you know, the match will get made this week, I'm sure. They'll be out on the website when it gets announced. Okay, and then you're going to be going to China and when? November 7th through the 19th, I will be in China wrestling. Uh, I think they're doing four or five shows there. And uh, one of them is going to be huge in Beijing. And, um, yeah, I think it's the start of something really big in China, and uh, very exciting and very rare. Nothing goes on in China like that. And um, WWN has made a huge move, huge step forward, and we're all very pleased, you know, from the school standpoint. And uh, But, I mean, beyond that, as a wrestler, to be, to be invited to be a part of that by, uh, you know, the people over at uh, Great Wall Media and, and China, and I'm just very grateful. And... Uh, I was invited, and, and that's awesome. So, not much else I can say about that. I'm really looking forward to it, man. Working out hard, hoping to put on some great shows, and uh, you know, I have a blast while I'm there. And they got stuff lined up for us. They got golf outings, Panda Bear tours, Great Wall of China tours, a million buffets, catering, all these cool things, awesome hotels. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, it's it's awesome. So we're we're pumped. Everybody, everybody who's going is like pumped. Oh, and I found out today that we're all getting custom tracksuits, which is really cool. Sweet, yeah. sweet. Yeah. Oh, and plug and plug away your your Facebook or Instagram or if you have any plug away. I don't have Instagram. Uh, Facebook is uh, I think it's like Earl dot Cooter. Facebook dot com Earl dot Cooter. Twitter is Earl Cooter one. Uh, I need Twitter followers, man. I don't have a lot. Facebook, I'm pretty much maxed out on. It. I think I'm hovering like right around the five thousand mark. I just try to go through and delete like spammers all the time. Yeah. But uh, I mean it's so funny. You see it on Facebook. I put a status out. It gets a lot of likes. I put out a tweet. A tweet it gets retweet or one favorite <laughs> Twitter said, man, it's a sad, you know. I, I actually, I met, you know, I met this comedian, I actually knew him, but like, I I think I met him as Earl Cooter, like somebody introduced me and said, hey, this guy is a very popular pro wrestler, uh, Earl Cooter, and he's a comedian, his name is Godfrey, and he's like, you know, he's all over like MSG at night, yeah, yeah, uh, hosting those things, yeah, so I know that guy, I met him, and I was like, you know, I look at his Twitter, and like, he's like, yo, I have me on Twitter right now, so I was like, alright. So I look at his Twitter, I'm like, man, you got like 80,000 people on there. He's like, yeah. I was like, I got like 500, dude. And he's just laughing, you know, and he's like, yeah, I don't know, man, I don't know how this works. You know, so we were laughing, and I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, you need to help me. So then he started tweeting at me, and I got like probably like 10 followers, I don't know. But I thought that was cool of him, but uh, he's a cool guy. He's funny. Oh, sweet, Earl. I'm definitely going to try to go to the November show to see you, probably, so. Yeah, we'll see, man. I know you're always trying to go, we'll see. <laughs> I don't do or do not, there is no trying, like Yoda would say. I gotta tell you, man, I gotta get on making that shirt. I started to do it, and I just got so 
so busy. I actually talked to the girl with, with that company. I can't think. Uh, her name's Yolanda there. She runs a t-shirt company. I talked to her. I put the order in, and I just never finalized it. I got really busy at the time, and then summer came, and blah, blah, blah. And I, I got to get on that, that shirt that you actually designed, man. I give you credit for it. And it I already put it on a shirt, saw it. It looks amazing. I want it. Oh, for real? Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that, that. that. You know, that was the classic one. I'm sure I'll get sued with the with the guy's face, you know, with his stunned <laughs> face when the Undertaker lost and said, Earl Cooter is a ball. That's a great shirt, dude. <laughs> no problem. I man. might even take those. I might even get it done before China. I might take those to China with me, too. Oh, make sure you take a picture. I definitely got to see that on your Facebook page. All right, man. You will. All right. Thanks a lot, Earl Cooter, for giving me your time. And, um, I, yeah, man, I hope it was interesting. I feel like I was just talking way too much, but whatever, man. It's cool. Yeah, exactly. Keep it real, Earl Kuda. I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot, man. <laughs>